Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We hope you enjoy our journey through the book of Acts, exploring the many powerful actions of Jesus Christ as he continues to move and teach us through his apostles by his Holy Spirit, empowering the explosion of the church to expand from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which is you and me right here and right now, where we move from spectators to participants and join with Paul in preaching the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's now join Pastor Jordan Moody in our new series, Acts, The Movement Begins. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. You can turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Ronnie mentioned that we began Acts chapter 2 last week. We looked at Pentecost, Acts 2 verses 1 through 12 or 13. Today we're going to be looking at the end of the chapter, uh, verses 14 through uh, 41. Really, we're just going to be summarizing the main points of Peter's sermon today. This series of Acts is, again, kind of part two of Luke, if you recall. Some of you maybe are just joining us in this beginning of this series, uh, but Acts, the book of Acts is written by Luke, the same author of the Gospel of Luke, and the beginning of the Gospel of Luke is designed to tell us the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but then the very beginning of Acts, we see that Jesus ascends and leaves, but it's not that Jesus leaves the scene. In fact, he remains the main character through his spirit, the, the Holy Spirit. Really, we could look at the book of Acts as we study it. It's this Acts of the Holy Spirit or Acts of the Apostles or what is a good title for this. Remember, we looked at, we could even call it the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit, through his apostles and the church. All of those things are formative in this book of Acts. And it's really what Jesus began to do and teach that is now detailed for us in Acts. Jesus still remains the focus of Acts. And it is through that spirit that unites that Ronnie so eloquently and beautifully described to us that the believers that are today meeting in Nicaragua and that are meeting here today in Jaffrey, we find that Holy Spirit unites us together as one church. And so the book of Acts, as we're going to jump in here, I want you to just understand where we're at. Pentecost just occurred. The Holy Spirit has just been poured out. They've been uh, speaking the mighty works of God as it's been displayed. And then Peter's going to get up and preach. Peter's going to get up and preach. And really, this book of Acts is a unique book because it's, it's history, it's narrative, it's storyline. It's detailing for us a transitionary period in the church, really this kind of before Jesus and after Jesus, and the transition period, as we see, is this book of Acts, as we transition into the church, this time where the Spirit is now moving and supporting the church, but we have the main pillars, the main leaders of the church are are kind of set on the forefront. And we get to hear and read their actual sermons. And so you're going to read today, we're going to look at just the main points of Peter's sermon this morning. But Peter, in the book of Acts, has eight different discourses or sermons. The apostle Paul, and really that that sums up kind of the beginning of the book of Acts. And then we'll, at the end of Acts, you'll see Paul. Saul, and his name will change to Paul, the apostle Paul. We'll get nine different sermons or discourses of Paul. James has one short little sermon in there, and Stephen has one as well. And that makes up some of the the main preaching points of Acts, because Acts, like I said, is a mixture between these sermons and messages that we hear from the beginning and the foundation of the church, 
And we get also these snapshots of what the Spirit is doing to, uh, to form and shape the church and pour that Spirit out on this ever-increasing crescendo of people groups and ethnicities as it spreads out from Jerusalem from this moment. And so that's kind of what I want us to remind ourselves as we begin. But let's look at Acts 2, verse 14. And I will try to refrain from commenting on it. Uh, and I'm just going to read it through, okay? I know I say that all the time. My wife is already, yeah, right. Okay, so um, I'm going to read it through, then we're going to comment on it, and really just looking at a couple of these main points, and then we're going to close with a, a real gospel message focusing on the title of today's message, which is, Is Jesus Your Lord? And I believe that's really the, the core of what Peter is preaching. His sermon is not a whole lot different than the sermons you're going to hear today. Um, and so he's preaching this message of, is Jesus your Lord? You'll see that towards the end. Let's look at this. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's in the morning time. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, the Old Testament prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. That's a phrase, the day of the Lord. It means a lot here in this passage. The great magnificent day. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass. Here's the famous phrase, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says, concerning him, and he quotes from Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make known to me the fullness, uh, full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29, brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, David was, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ or of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we were our witnesses. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit that he has poured out on you, uh, out 
out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says this. And now he quotes from Psalm 110. And the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Then let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, I love that, for certain that God has made him, here's the key, both Lord and Christ, that he's made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now verse 37 is their response. Now when they heard this, they were all cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, like, what shall we do? Peter said to him, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, everyone, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, and preached to them, right? Saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So in Acts 2 here, we have this, uh, this event, this extraordinary event, Pentecost. It's so exciting. There's this massive movement that begins here that we even extends to us today. But it's all centered around this one true event that took place about 50 days prior on Passover. The time of Passover came and Jesus was crucified. This is the term that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, when he writes regarding uh, the the point of fantasy literature and and of fairy tales and the importance of those kinds of things, J.R.R. Tolkien talks about this concept that's so important for us to grasp, and he, he talks about it in relation to the cross of Jesus Christ. He coins a term called the eucatastrophe. A eucatastrophe is the word eu, E-U, which means good in the Greek Latin suffix there. And this, this idea of eu is attached to catastrophe, which is bad, terrible, tragedy, event, kind of that happens. And so you slam them together and you get this idea of a, a good catastrophe. Something absolutely surprising and tragic like the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus hanging on a cross And yet that catastrophe turns out to be the very reason why we call Friday good. (laughs) Good Friday. The whole point of that is that this idea that Sunday is coming as it does. And Sunday comes because Jesus rises from the grave. And it's from that eucatastrophic moment, maybe if that's a word, we would say is the, the watershed event of all of human history. The very reason we find ourselves here today is because of that eucatastrophe that good, tragic event. And that's what Peter's preaching about, the core central point that he is pointing out. And if you noticed while I was reading, he points fingers a lot, probably a lot more than maybe one of us are comfortable with. (laughs) He stands in Jerusalem there in the temple saying, you killed Jesus. (laughs) That's a striking statement to say that just 50 days, Jesus was dragged and put on a cross. Now Peter, his follower, would get up and say those kinds of things for fear of his own life. But now he has boldness to say, you killed Jesus, but it's in killing Jesus. It's in that crucifying moment that God raised him up from the dead, and now you can experience true life. And it's in that moment where he then calls and says, hey, is that Jesus your Lord? Is he your Messiah? 
Do you believe in him? And so that's the moment that is central here and really ought to be central in every sermon in one way, shape, or form. And as you'll see through the book of Acts, as the spirit is spread throughout the Jerusalem, then it goes to Samaria and falls upon the Samaritans, then to the Gentiles in Acts 10 and Acts 19, the followers of John. As the spirit is extended to these different ethnic groups, we find that in each one, it is central, the central point, the central crux, the central watershed moment, climax, whatever you want to call it. The central moment is always the cross of Jesus Christ and the powerful resurrection that followed. That resurrection moment is the central pivotal moment where it all shaped, uh, takes form, where everything uh, falls off of from that. And so Peter begins his sermon, though, in uh, the book of Joel, this Old Testament passage. It seems as he may have been quoting or had this sense of the Spirit filled him. But as growing up in the Jewish faith they, faith, they would have memorized large passages of the Old Testament, which to them would not have been the Old Testament, would have just been known as the Hebrew Scriptures. But for them, as they're studying this minor, as we look at this minor prophet known as the, as the prophet Joel, we get this idea that, that Peter explains. He says, what you have just witnessed, this outpouring of the Spirit, the tongues of fire that we read in Acts 2, what you have just witnessed, he says, this is real. This is happening. You can't deny this. That's really his number one point. That the prophet Joel prophesied that this was happening, and it's happening, right, whether you like it or not. And it's an extraordinary statement. What he does is he quotes from the Old Testament, this Joel, and he ties it into the very experience of Pentecost that Sunday, that day. And uh, so it's on that Pentecost day where Joel, this minor prophet's quoted in such a way where he gives this idea, the day of the Lord is upon us. The kingdom of God is here. The Lord is returned and he is gracious and merciful. And it says that he will come and he will bring salvation. The whole theme of the, of the minor prophet Joel there is this concept of a day of the Lord that is coming, judgment that is necessary for sin, and yet a loving and gracious God who brings salvation through a spirit that will be poured out on one day. And it's in Joel, as you read through the prophet Joel, that you'll, you'll come upon this idea in Joel 2, 28. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the point there is everyone. It says, you know, it kind of gives you this cross section of society. Sons and daughters, young men, old men, right? Male and female. It's this idea that all can be filled with the spirit. What Moses wanted in the Old Testament is now taking place here by the prophecy of Joel. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and baptized in that spirit. Romans 10 highlights this idea. If you were to look at Paul's writings in Romans 10, it describes this very idea where it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, notice that, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then Paul also quotes the same verse, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10, 9 through 13. Also here in Acts and in the Old Testament, we see that phrase constantly being presented to anyone, and that goes for you today. So Peter says, look, this is happening. This event of Pentecost has taken place, and the Spirit has come. It's been poured out right now. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. 
And then he says in point number two, he goes right into driving home his point directed at his, as the people who are listening to him. And he points some fingers and he says, ultimately, if I were to shorten it, you're a sinner, but God has given his grace and his mercy for you. You're guilty of killing Jesus, the son of God. <laughs> but even your sin cannot stop the plan and the masterful plan of redemption that God has laid out. You thought that by taking Jesus to the cross that you could get rid of his statements and who he was. But it's in that act of rebellion, it's in that act of betrayal that God brings a marvelous act of redemption from it. It's from those ashes that comes the beauty and comes the life. And so that's what he says. It's, it's really one of the more, I guess you could say even, it's not very politically correct. It's not a very culturally sensitive message. <laughs> he points fingers. He says, you remember that man, Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth who did all kinds of works and wonders in our midst. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that God sent when the fullness of time has come. God sent him. He was born in a manger, Christmas time, all of that, right? That Jesus? Oh yeah, yeah, that guy, you remember him? You killed him. You crucified him. You killed by the hands of lawless men and the Romans then in that manner, right? Yet, it's in this beautiful statement that he follows up and he says, but God raised him up. I love this idea, this connection between you are a sinner and you are guilty, but God's grace is here for you. It is his resurrection power that is waiting to save you from your sin. So he doesn't kind of try to skirt around the idea, and he doesn't try to just soften the blow. He just tells it as it is. He doesn't pull any punches. He points out their sin. And I think that's important even for us today to recognize that if we never come to grips with the fact that our sin is, in a, is a supreme offense to a holy God, then why would we ever see ourselves in need of a savior to save us from that sin? Why would we ever feel as if we need to be transformed into a saint if we never come to the point of recognizing that we're a sinner? And so it's important that sin is not something, yes, I, I guess in some ways today, the idea of sin is not something popular in today's culture, or even the culture of the church, I would say. But the concept is so vital and it begins that process of recognizing our need to repent from something because we have offended a holy God. We have rebelled against his law and his way. And we are seeking to be worshipped as ourselves apart and as we steal worship from the one who truly deserves our, the worship of God. It is God himself. And so God's grace is ultimately provided for us through his uh, definite foreknowledge and plan that not only would Jesus die, but that he would raise him up. And it's by the love of Jesus that comes and shares that life with us. For God's grace is greater than all our sin. We, we sing it often, that song, uh, our sins, though, though they are many, his mercy is more. Right? This is that understanding of the gospel that is so vital. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3, the tree, uh, the rebellion against God. Romans 3 tells us that no one is righteous. No, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the, good, of the goodness and the glory of God. Isaiah 53 reminds us that we are all like sheep. We're, we're little fuzzy sheep, kind of cute, right? No, we're, we're dumb and stupid. We wander and we go away on our own thinking we, we know where we're going when we don't. We all like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to our own way, my way, 
but the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity and the sin of us all to forgive us, to be our substitute, to rescue us. And so I love this idea that he, he displays the sin of the people and he displays their guilt and shame and then he, he points them to the power of God to raise Jesus from the grave because it's Jesus that we're talking about. He's the son of God. Death cannot hold him. It's an, it's an amazing phrase and an amazing point where he says right here in verse 24, you can look at that with me if you can. Verse 24, it says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. You could say, breaking the chains of death, whatever you like, because it was not possible, not possible for him to be held by it. This is his love, his mercy, his grace. It's unstoppable. It's almost as if we, did we really think that we were so deluded that we thought we could kill Jesus and we could kill the son of God and we could get rid of him. How foolish would we think we are? Do, do we think we are, right? Acts 2.24. The NLT, I like the way it says it in Acts 2.24. It says, but God released Jesus from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. I like that way in a grip. God raised him from the dead. It was not possible. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where he says, death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? Right? Because thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. This is the statement of faith that we have to come to at some point in our lives, to come to that, bur- that place. And I think it's so important for us not to miss this. That your sin is not too much for God to hold. I mean, so often we, we act as if like, God could never love me, God could never save me, he's for that person over there and those good church type people who do the right things, say the right things, know the Sunday school answers. But you don't know what I've done or what I've gone through or what I'm going through right now. I think the point of the message like this is to recognize that, that there's nothing that you've gone through or going through right now that is, that is too big for God. That like the grace extends to those people but not to you. And that his forgiveness is not a total forgiveness for someone like you or someone like me. And we consider ourselves sometimes living under that guilt and that shame that the, that, that the, that the evil one pours out in our lives. And we, we carry around a burden that we are trying to carry on our own. And the Lord would tell us to shed that burden off. Give it to the Lord who says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's his, his desire to carry our cross, right? This, this idea of him bearing that burden. And so often we can come into church or avoid church altogether because we're too ashamed. We're too ashamed that God couldn't love someone like me. And yet we're reminded even here for those who just participated in killing Jesus, that that could not stop the plan of Jesus. That could not stop his saving grace. That could not stop the Holy Spirit from rescuing these people. God takes our sin. He puts it as far as the east is from the west. There is not a person in here who is too far gone or too far from the grace of God. But the fact is that everyone Every single person who hears these words and calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a beautiful, all-inclusive, and welcoming gospel if you are recognizing your sin and willing to repent from that and turn to your Savior.
And so, now we may have in our minds, and potentially you do today, as any good sermon or preacher would do, he seeks to give an answer for the doubts that you might have. Anytime I'm preaching, there are often an awareness that I have that there are many in here who are, yes, amening and agreement, but there are some who are here or maybe listening online later who are questioning, skeptical, not really sure if what this guy's saying is really true. And so there's an attempt often to try to answer some of those doubts, and no doubt, Many of the people listening to this message that Peter was preaching had doubts as well. And so David goes, uh, sorry, uh, uh, well, I'm getting all my guys right. Luke, uh, right, is, is writing for us that uh, Peter quotes King David and, and says, hey, you guys all respect David as followers of the Jewish religion. They're all there for Pentecost, for the festival. And so he says, you all respect David. You know David, right? Everybody know King David? Well, even he believed in the resurrection of the Messiah. And even David called uh, the Messiah his Lord. Why can't you? Right? And so the doubts that they might feel about who the identity of Jesus really was, he gives it to them. And he quotes from Psalm 16, essentially saying that David himself believed that the Messiah would come one day, a Christ figure, and that this person would be resurrected from the grave and one day resurrect him from the grave. And he says, hey, look, David died and was buried. His grave is with us today, he says. You all know where that is in in many ways is what he says. That David quoted, says in verse 27 and verse 28 of Acts, he goes on and it describes that even David believed in a resurrection, And then it summarizes for us in verse 31 of Acts 2, verse 31. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Hey, David believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why can't you? And then he goes on to verse 34. David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at the right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. This is a quote from Psalm 110, which is, if I'm not mistaken, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And, and it's this psalm where he says, the Lord says to my Lord. It's a little confusing phrase for us in English. Essentially, what he's saying in the Hebrew is uh, Yahweh says to my Adonai. Yahweh, God, says to my Lord, the one I honor as master. David's writing that. So David is saying, God says to my master, You're, you will not uh, sit at my right hand and all of these things. Basically what he's saying is even the great and the almighty King David, you could say, even he honored the Messiah that was still to come. Even he called him master. Why can't you call him master? David believed in the resurrection of the Christ and David called the Messiah his master. Why can't you? Right, and that's, that's the sermon. That's where he goes at. And yes, I believe Peter pointed, okay, as I just did, right? And then number four, this final point, really, he kind of starts, or these final two points, he, he starts bringing it to get to, together. And he summarizes it in a nice concluding statement that any preacher would do. And he brings it to verse 36. And he says, let the house of Israel therefore know for certain, I love that, for certain, with no doubt, that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Lord in Christ. And again, we're familiar with the word Christ is the word Messiah. So this word Christ and Messiah, this Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified in case you forgot. And so he tells us just as plain as day, this is a summary statement and a declaration of the truth and the identity of Jesus Christ. 
The whole sermon, the whole message of salvation is centered around the truth of Jesus and the identity of Jesus and the power that Jesus has over the grave and to offer true life for anyone who would call upon his powerful and almighty name. And again, it is that twofold designation that Romans tells us again, as we read earlier, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is your Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved, meaning he'll be your Messiah Christ. For everyone who calls upon his name shall be saved. This is what C.S. Lewis describes in his book, Mere Christianity, when he says you can't just come to Jesus and treat him like a casual friend. He's either a liar He's either crazy like a lunatic or he's your Lord. He can't be just a casual teacher that you take with you when you need him because either he's lying about his identity or he's crazy, a lunatic, or possibly he is our Lord and master. And if he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, then ultimately, Peter would say, as any preacher would do, is push the ball in your court. (laughs) It's your turn, <laughs> right? The, the ball is in your court. Is Jesus your Lord and your Messiah? Because if he is, that changes everything. That changes everything not only for the entire world, but also for your very soul. But the conclusion, the call to action is placed on them and the people respond to the preaching of, G, of, of Peter and the presentation of Jesus that ultimately says, as he says, is he Lord your master or not? Basically, he's saying, is it gonna be your way or God's way? There's really only two ways. Your way or God's way. Jesus is Lord or you think you're Lord. Which one will it be? And so there's a conviction placed upon their heart. There is a response of repentance and an act of salvation where the baptism of the Spirit comes upon them and they act that out in uh, water baptism here where 3,000 souls, what a sight that would have been. And then this is an action of obedience that they take, right? And so in Acts 2, 38, it describes this response. Peter, well actually, before I go there, verse 37 It says, verse 37, and now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I love that phrase, cut to the heart. You ever had that? There are times when I'm preaching and I convict myself, okay? (laughs) I'm I'm thinking to myself, I need, I hope that comes across to you that as you preach, as you read God's word, as you study it, you find yourself being cut to the quick, as we might say. Cut to the heart, a conviction placed upon us. And perhaps you've had that at some point in your life where you find yourself convicted, that cutting into our heart, where the word of God divides us asunder, as it says, right? It cuts us right down to the joint and the bone and the marrow, and it splits us open and exposes our need for salvation and rescue. And then we see in Acts 2.38, as they are cut to the heart, they say, Peter, what do we do? What do we do? Peter says, hey, repent. We've been calling you to repent from your sin. Turn. Turn 180 degrees, go that way, turn the other way, pursue the Lord. So in faith, walk towards the Lord, okay? And then what does it say? And then be baptized. There's a response to what you have believed in. Go and respond in action. And then do that in the name of Jesus, the one we've been denying, the one I've just presented to you is Jesus Jesus is salvation, the Lord is salvation, and Christ, he is your Messiah and Savior. And so 
Jesus Christ. Why? Well, for the forgiveness of your sins because you're a sinner. You killed Jesus. You're guilty of rebelling against God. You're a sinner. You need forgiveness. Receive his forgiveness and you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this gift upon you where you will be cleansed internally and you will be made new. There's a beautiful cleansing aspect of that, that water that reminds us of what God is doing internally within us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so the encouragement here is to remind ourselves of what God is doing in this message, in this time, and for us even here today. So what I wanted to leave you with is not this sense of, well, that was Peter, that's what he preached, and now we all go and leave. But I want us to also encapsulate the message of Peter within our own hearts. To be able to truly grasp and understand the gospel in such a way that we would be motivated to share it with others. Perhaps there's someone here today who needs to hear this message of the gospel from Peter, read to you from Pastor Jordan Moody here in 2023, and you need to hear this message of salvation for yourself. And you need to respond to Jesus today, this morning, that today would be the day of salvation for you. That for perhaps the first time you've come to a recognition in your life where Jesus is Lord and he is Messiah, my Christ, my Savior. And perhaps some of you, though, who have grown up in this, you believe, you've, you've um, received the Spirit, you've walked in this for many years, and yet there's a dryness to some of the things in your life. And you need a reminder of this gospel message that is not just a foundational stone that you needed at one time in your life, but something that you need to preach to yourself each and every day so that you would be filled with the Spirit each and every day, that you would be filled with it so that you would also have the boldness and the courage to share this gospel message. But I understand this can be a challenging thing, to be able to seek about preaching the gospel. No, maybe not some of you are gonna get up here on the stage and preach a message, but you certainly could do that with your neighbor. You could certainly do that with your coworker. You could certainly do that with a family member who perhaps doesn't believe in these things and you've been praying for for many years. So here at the church, we've developed uh, kind of, I guess, in a sense, compiled something for you throughout this whole series to be able to encourage you and motivate you and equip you to share the gospel, this message, with other people so that, though, so that wherever you go from this place, you can learn the gospel enough so that you can also grow to share the gospel. So what we're calling it is an action step from Acts. And today you can take an action step from Acts. And in the back, uh, there's a flyer where we have a uh, kind of a book a packet of uh, some material that you can learn the gospel yourself and you can learn to share it with someone else. It's a method of sharing the gospel called Two Ways to Live. And the first thing in there is a little book where you can learn about the two ways to live method of sharing the gospel. There's two tracks, one for children and one for adults. And there's also this uh, element here, which I think we have on the screen, uh, which is a simple two-way to live, six-step process to walk somebody through the gospel message. But again, this is also something I believe for you. You can take this magnet, put it on your fridge, begin to memorize these things, internalize the gospel in such a way where I believe you'll begin to be equipped to be able to share that with somebody else, to recognize that God created the world perfect and good. But number two, our rebellion against God has caused sin to enter the world and divided us from our original intent, which is to rule the world under God. But we wanted to rule the world on our own without God, so we took of the fruit because we thought we were better than him. We wanted to rule our way, and God's justice must punish that. And so God's justice through death comes into the world, 
But eventually, God sent Jesus to die for us, to take our place on the cross, to take our death that we deserve and our judgment on his behalf. And Jesus is that cross, that one who is on the cross, that pivotal moment, number four. And then number five, not only does he, he does not die and stay and remain dead, but he rises over it, conquering over that grave, just like all who call upon his name will do the same. So Jesus, the risen ruler and savior, finally becomes and takes his rightful place as our representative in heaven to be the one who would rescue us, redeem us, and be our king of kings. And then we're left with a choice at the end. Which way are you going to choose to try to live? What way are you going to choose? Is that going to be your way? Where you continually head down the path that you decide and think is best, and ultimately left with all of the cards and all of the burden and everything in your court? Or are you going to say, Lord, I need help. Save me. Rescue me. Save me from my sins. I call out to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, for he is the one who offers by his grace and by his love that everyone who calls on his name shall be saved. And this is a quick, simple, easy way to be able to learn this gospel message, internalize it to where you understand it so that you can share it with someone, perhaps your kids, perhaps a family member or a neighbor. And so if you'd like, there's those action step packets that you can take on the back of the connect wall. But I would challenge you, take it if you're going to use it. We don't want to give these away just simply to sit in the, uh, underneath the car with the, uh, all the kids' wrappers and everything that gets thrown in there, right? But rather something that you're going to say, I'm going to commit to taking an action step from the book of Acts so that I'm going to physically leave this place with an intention to learn the gospel in such a way that I can share it with someone else that the Lord puts on my heart. And perhaps there's someone in here who needs this for the first time. You want to be taught and these things for the first time. And we'd love to share those with you after the service or grab a packet and I'll walk it through you and show you how you can trust in Jesus for the first time and he can save you. Uh, I just love these simple ways of singing that. And we're gonna close here in a moment with a song of my Jesus where we're gonna sing about Jesus Christ who is our Lord and our Savior. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these things. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. We praise you, God, for our faith that is put in you. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this service this morning. So many of the things that we heard, so many of the aspects of how you're working all over the globe, how you're working in different people's lives here. Would you teach us to understand the gospel? And God, would you send your spirit upon us in such a way that we are filled to overflowing so that we would be able to pour that out on other people that we come in contact with, that we would sing and talk and share the love of Jesus Christ. But nothing can separate us from that. And we desire for the whole world to know this good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.